0: I want to start this morning by sharing a story that is told by Andrew Vanderbilge. He is a Dutchman that became known around the world as Brother Andrew. In the 1960s and in the 1970s, he smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain. Then later he went behind the Bamboo Curtain, and then when the Iron Curtain fell and such things, then he began working in closed Muslim countries. He's written several books about uh, his ministries, but his first and probably his most famous was the book God's Smuggler. And in it, he tells the story of his conversion, And after he was converted, he went to this very intense Bible college that was intended to help prepare people for the mission field. And so in addition to taking seminary classes at this college, they had to learn how to take apart a car. They had to learn how to do plumbing. They had to learn to do first aid. They had to do all kinds of things. Well, part of that preparation involved taking an evangelism training trip. So the, the teams the school was divided into teams, and they were to take a missionary tour of Scotland. But there was a catch. They were told that they had to provide their own transportation, their own housing, their own food, any advertising, any refreshments, anything that they needed for the trip, and they could not pass the collection plate. And they could not make their financial needs known. The whole episode was to be an exercise in trust. Now, he goes on to write in the book that he came to watch God provide for him in what he would call the royal way. He said that God always supplied their provisions in a royal, kingly manner. It was never in a groveling manner. And so he shares the story about one, one instance in particular, when he was completely broke. He had run out of toothpaste, he had run out of razors, he had run out of laundry soap. He was broke. He had, he had no money. And the problem was, he had to renew his visa. If he was to stay in the country, if he was to stay in the school, he needed his visa renewed. And he was convinced that God wanted him to stay, so he began to pray, and pray that God would provide for these provisions, and he would provide the stamp. So he's watching every day for this money to show up, and days go by, and no money. No stamp money. And then finally, the last day that he has to send in his visa, and somebody comes to the door. Knocks on the door, and he thinks, this is my angel of deliverance here. He goes to the door, but instead of it being a man bringing him money, it is a friend that he has made in the slums who wants money. He's hungry. And so he asks Andrew, do you have any money that you can share with me? And Andrew is about to tell him no when out of the corner of his eye he sees a coin on the ground, enough for a stamp. So he very carefully moves over and puts his foot on that coin because he doesn't want the other guy to see it first. And then he nonchalantly bends down and picks up a a handful of gravel And just starts to stand there and toss out pebbles. And then without him noticing, he sticks that coin in his pocket. Now he's got the money for a stamp. The problem is, he became very convicted. He knew that God had always provided in a royal, kingly way. And he had this picture of himself standing with his foot over the coin and groveling in the dirt. And he thought, this is not the royal way. And so he pulled that coin out of his pocket and he handed it to the man. And he said, will this help you? And the man was thrilled, yes. And he took that coin and left. No sooner had the man left, the postman shows up, hands Andrew a letter. And inside the letter is money, money enough for toothpaste and razors and soap and the stamp, the royal way. Now, our, our author this week has a very similar lesson He asks us, what are the methods that we are using to accomplish our parenting tasks? You see, because the way we do things matter, the way we speak to our kids matter, the way that we discipline our kids matter, the way we instruct our kids matter. Goals are important, but the methods are too. Now, why is that? Why does it matter? It matters because we don't act on our own authority. We're not ruling over our own jurisdiction. We are parenting as God's representative. We are parenting as God's agent. And you know what? God is a beautiful, royal, majestic king. And so our methods must be befitting of him. Our methods must be fitting of the gospel. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Peter? 1 Peter, back, tucked in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll recognize this verse. 1 Peter 1 verse 15, Peter writes, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Our conduct, our methods, the way we do things must reflect the one we represent. We must be like him. Okay, so here's what that means. It means that we don't want our parenting methods to be the equivalent of standing with our foot over the coin and groveling down in the dirt. Okay. Our goals are royal. Therefore, our methods need to be royal. So this morning, we're going to go over some of the most common unbiblical parenting methods that are often used. Now, what I did was I made a list of them on in the box up to the right of your paper. And we're going to go through some of these quickly and make some observations about them as we go. So the first one on your list of methods to discard, these are methods we want to discard. The first one is the I didn't turn out so bad method. Okay? This is the method that says, uh, you know, I got smacked on the mouth when I said sassy words, or I got hit upside the head when I did things, and and I turned out okay. Or maybe instead of being abusive, we think about it as lenient. We say, I never had a set bedtime, and I was allowed to stay up and watch TV all night, and I survived, okay? This method is all about using the methods that mom and dad used, all right? The author points it out this way. He says, many parents unquestioningly employ whatever methods their parents used. Okay, what's wrong with that? What's the problem with using what mom and dad used? Well, the first point on your paper is number one, biblical goals require biblical methods. Only godly methodology will bring glory to God. Our methods have got to be biblical. And so that means we need to assess what we're doing And determine whether or not it's biblical, even if it was mom and dad's way before. The fact is, mom and dad might have been doing some very effective things, but were they biblical? Okay. Now, another unbiblical parenting method is erratic eclecticism. All right, this is the catch all method. All right, this is when parents don't know what to do. So maybe they read something in a book and they try that. Or maybe they talk to a friend and they try that. It's, it's very hodgepodge. There's no consistency with anything that they're doing with the children. Now, <clears throat> there is one thing you can almost guarantee that no matter what method people use, is they will have one thing in common. And that brings us to our second point, number two on your paper. One of the problems with unbiblical methods is that they are a form of behaviorism. Behaviorism. Most every parenting method out there is going to be all about curbing or controlling or manipulating behavior. Now, the author calls this superficial parenting, and he warns that superficial parenting produces superficial children that don't understand what makes them tick. And they don't understand what it means to live under the authority of God. All right, next unbiblical method on your list there is called pop psychology. All right, pop psychology, these are the techniques that you always read about in the monthly parenting magazines or on the internet or on the talk shows or in the uh, latest bestseller. Now, these are usually very enticing for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's usually some doctor that knows a lot about children. He's talking about it, or maybe they've had a lot of research on it. Or uh, it's usually dealing with popular problems, current trends, that the methods don't feel outdated. And so we can be very drawn to them. They usually involve a step-by-step list or a plan of things to start doing to to fix the problem. And, you know, we like those. So uh, they're, they're appealing to us. All right, but that brings us to our next point, and that is number three. The Bible is sufficient. It is trustworthy, powerful, and relevant. And we've talked about this before. The Bible is relevant. The Bible is sufficient. We don't need to add to the Bible. And here's another thing. We don't need to improve upon it. All right now that's what you see pop psychology try to do. And we're going to really see that in the, in the next few weeks. Now, am I saying that you shouldn't know what's going on in the culture? No, you, you, didn't. you need to be wise about what's going on in the culture. Okay, what, what I'm saying is you don't go to the culture for your parenting techniques. All right, now hear me on something. Your, your kids don't need a mom that turns to the talk shows for her parenting methods. Your kids need a mom that knows how to get into the word of God. Your kids need a mom that hears from God. Your kids need a mom that knows how to wrestle in prayer with God. That's what your kids need. All right, our next unbiblical method is emotionalism. Emotionalism. This is when we make an appeal to the emotions. We say things like this. You are going to make mommy cry. I get so sad when the two of you are mean to each other. (laughs) Or we say something like this. You know, your dad works very hard to buy you those toys. The least you could do is pick them up when I ask you. Then, then there's the famous one, uh, you need to clean all the food off your plate. Think of all the starving children that would love to have a plate of food like that, okay? Now, not saying that it's wrong to speak honestly with your children or to teach them about such things. The, the problem with this one is we're attempting to manipulate emotions to get them to do what we want, okay? And that, and that is uh, not what we want to do. Now, a big one in this category, very popular, becoming very popular, is shaming. You see it on Facebook. You see it on Instagram. It's becoming very popular these days. The news had a clip of a girl in Florida that snuck a boy into her house after everyone had gone to bed. And the parents found out. So as punishment, they took that young girl. She's a young teenager. They took her to the busiest intersection in town. And they made up a sign, and the sign said, I sneak boys into the house at 3 a.m. I disrespect my parents and grandparents. And they made her stand in this intersection with, with this sign. Now, it was causing a, a, a lot of commotion, and a, a news team went out there to talk to them. And the parents are standing off to the side, and they begin to interview the parents. Now, the parents, on their end, they seemed very genuine, they seemed very concerned for the girl. They kept expressing that they had been watching her be increasingly more destructive in her lives. They were, they were genuinely concerned. And they kept saying, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do with her. And, and meanwhile, there's cars passing by and honking, and they're giving them the thumbs up. Way to go. You know, they think this is a great idea, what th- this girl's gone through. So then the newscasters try to interview the daughter. Now, she is mortified. She's got her head down in the sign. She doesn't want her face seen. She's, she's angry, she's, she's defiant, she's mad. And she keeps saying, this isn't love. This isn't love. They say they love me, but this isn't love. And, and, and I'm watching all of this, and I'm thinking to myself, This family will never recover. This family will never recover. Apart from the grace of God, but, but humanly speaking, that family will never recover. You know what it was like? It was like watching a family join hands and jump off a cliff together. Now, it brings us to our next point. Number four, unbiblical methods produce distance between parents and children. Any time that you are controlling or manipulating emotions, manipulating behavior, you know, that's, that's not going to end well. The author points out that children become resentful, they can become resistant, and even rebellious towards you. The author puts it this way. He says, children learn to play the cat and mouse game with you, but depth of relationship and communication is lost. Oh, isn't that what happened with that Florida family? brings us to our next point, number five. Unbiblical methods obscure the gospel message, the message of the gospel. Unbiblical methods obscure the message of the gospel. You see, here's the thing. There is no way that family was going to be able to go home and have a gospel conversation. There's no way you can go from shaming and manipulating emotions and then make the transition to talk about the hope and change that is available to them through the power of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. Okay, we want to take our children to the cross. All right, next unbiblical method, behavior modification. Now, this is the most popular one. And this is the one where parents either reward good behavior that they want in some tangible way and then they ignore or they punish behavior that they don't want and the hope with this one is that the child will respond to all the rewards or the privations by becoming well-behaved all right this is the one that says okay every time you call your brother stupid you got to put a quarter in this jar Or we do the positive side. We say, okay, every time that you say please and thank you without me having to remind you, I'm going to put a quarter in the jar, and then at the end of the week we'll go get ice cream. All right, now um, think about it, what are we really saying in this method? We are saying, you know, if you call your brother stupid, you're gonna go broke. You're not gonna be able to buy stuff. It's gonna cost you to say that. Or On the other hand, if you're polite, you're going to get stuff. You're going to get ice cream. In our attempt to modify behavior, we end up feeding their idolatry. Okay. Now, remember what we said a couple of weeks ago, whatever we use to modify behavior inevitably trains the heart. So think about it. Our kids are already predisposed to being greedy. Our kids are already predisposed to being self-centered. And self-serving. And so this method is really all about appealing to the very things we're trying to discourage. So number six on our paper, unbiblical methods train the heart in idolatry. The author puts it this way, unbiblical methods provide children with functional idols to organize his life. Now, we need to point out that some of these methods, particularly the modifying the behavior methods, are very effective. They can be very effective in getting your child to behave. There's a program known as Total Transformation. They advertise it on the radio and in in magazines and on TV. It boasts that it is very effective. They charge you $327.00. Dollars for it, it comes with a 60 day money back guarantee and has a long list of impressive awards. So it can be effective, modifying behavior. But as the author points out, and our next point, number seven, unbiblical methods provide our children with a false basis for ethics. with behaviorism. The child is taught, taught to think what will get me what I want or help me avoid what I don't want. It's very pragmatic. So a kid thinks, you know what? I don't want to be grounded, so I'm not going to do that. Or I don't want to lose my computer privileges, so I'm not going to say that. All right. Now, however, the biblical view of ethics is very different. Okay, the biblical reasoning says there is a creator, God, and I live under his authority. And what he has for me to do is for my good and for his glory. All right, so number eight on our paper, with biblical methods, the basis for ethical decisions is the being, existence, and glory of God. Let's talk a bit about rewarding children. Is it wrong to offer rewards and enticements? Children need encouragement. We're going to talk about that next week. That's a big, important thing. It's certainly good to be appreciative. Nobody is against that. The author's primary concern this week, is offering praise and rewards for normal behavior. Now, my generation, remember it was my generation that taught the younger generation that it needed to be applauded for everything that it did. Remember, we were all concerned about self-esteem. So my generation is the one that decided to give everybody on the soccer team a, a trophy, Okay, it was my generation that started putting the bumper stickers on the back of the cars so all the other cars could see just how awesome your own kids are. Okay, that's, that was very much the mentality. Now, here's the thing. We didn't do them any favors. We didn't do, the, do them any favors doing that. The business world is now saying that they have to do the same thing with young workers in order to get their businesses to function. They are telling us that millennials are in constant need of praise, that they cannot wait for five years for a promotion. And so companies are being told, you need to make up in between promotions. You need to create... um, e-cards, and, certi- and, and um, uh, certificates, and you need to come up and find ways to give them regular, constant affirmation. The suggestion is that we have created a generation that thinks they're special just because they show up for work. Now, we don't want to train our children to be in constant need of the praise of men. Or the applause of man. So we want to be careful about praising and applauding normal behavior, as he would say. All right, the last one on our list there of uh, unbiblical methods is punitive correction. All right, this is when we use the threat of punishment to control our kids, or we use, or in order to keep our kids under control, we use a negative experience of punishment for instance all right you walk into the grocery store and before you get in you say this to your kids you better behave in there or there is no tv for you kids tonight or you might say something like um you lied you lied to me about what you were doing you know what you're grounded just get out of here go into your room you can spend the weekend there All right, that would be punitive. Now, punitive correction can take many forms. It can take the form of hitting, yelling, grounding, but it's going to involve some form of negative experience that is, and here's the key, that is not corrective. It's simply punitive. It's intended to make the child pay for what he's done. And it's usually the angry response of a frustrated parent. All right, that's what we're talking about with a punitive. Now, the author says that grounding is the most common example of this. I was surprised at this one. He does not like grounding. Here's why. He says that grounding is simply punitive. It's not designed to correct anything or do anything for the child. He says it's against the child. It's not addressing anything biblically. Now, he gave an example of a 10-year-old boy that had got in trouble, and his parents made him, was grounded in his room for several weeks, could only leave to go to school, to the bathroom, or to eat. But he said none of the issues that caused the poor behavior were being addressed or discussed. Okay, he's just sent to his room. Of course, the, the hope is the parents are thinking, well, he'll think twice before he does that again. But the author says it was not designed to improve character, but only to punish the behavior. The author put it this way. He said the young man is learning to cope with grounding, but the character flaws are not being addressed. He's not learning to understand the deceitfulness of his own heart. He's not learning God's ways. He's not being taken to Christ who who can enable a 10-year-old boy to know how to serve God. All right, the next point. Number nine. With biblical methods, root issues rather than fruit issues are addressed as the child is brought to a confrontation with God. We want to do more than just punish behavior. Okay, we want to be addressing the character. We want to be addressing the fruit, I mean, the root issues that got the child into trouble in the first place. When my oldest was in about the ninth grade, he had a D-Now weekend that he went to, and that Sunday... um, his leader, one of his leaders came up and, and spoke to me and wanted to tell me just what an awesome weekend they had. And, and really, she began to just gush about him. She went on and she started telling me, oh, he did this and he said that. And, and, and she just, she couldn't say enough kind things about him. So, of course, I was just very encouraged, very proud. You know, I left church that morning, you know, flying. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a good morning. The next week, my husband tells me on the way out the door of church, he says, "Um, so-and-so came up to me and said that he wanted to talk to me about our son. Now you know what I'm thinking. (laughs) I'm thinking, well, he probably wants to tell me how awesome he is. (laughs) Yeah, that's not what he wanted. He said... So-and-so came up to me and said, I need to talk to you about your son because your son is making my son's life miserable. And we've talked to the pastor about it. And they're just not sure they can join this church under these circumstances. I said, what? He talked to the pastor about it? Yeah. They, they feel they can't join the church because of this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, one week you're flying, the next week you're crawling in the dirt. That was the first time that we'd ever been told that one of our children was making someone's life miserable. So this was all, this was new territory for us. But we came home and we called our son into our room and... Um, uh, we, we sat down, and we said, um, tell us about so-and-so. And he kind of started to squirm in his chair and look a little sheepish, and, and he told us a few things that he and a, another kid had been doing at school. And, um, and we said, uh, go on. And my husband asked some, some questions, and, and he began to talk some more and explain some things. Well, you know... <sighs> things just start as funny when your buddies aren't around. And when you got parents that are just, you know, unamused by it all. And so, uh, you know, he was a believer at the time and he had a conscience. And so we, we didn't have to convince him that what he had done was unkind or wrong. He, he knew that. He, he, he knew that. What we did do is, is we attempted to explain to him, listen, your behavior, what you've been doing to this fella, it, it's hurtful, and and he's, and he's miserable. And you have to understand that, that that affects his mom and dad. They're miserable. They're hurting because that's what happens. Your parents hurt for their children. Okay, so now you've got a situation where it's affecting whether or not they're going to join a certain church. So this incident at school is now impacting the body of Christ. It's it's impacting a fellowship of people. Okay, and and now think about it, none of this behavior is bringing honor to the names of Bob and Heidi Giesler. Now, that's a problem, Not, not because we're embarrassed but we were we were embarrassed, but, but that wasn't the issue. The issue was, if he was not honoring Mom and Dad, then he could not be honoring his heavenly Father. He could not be bringing glory to God when he was out of sync with Mom and Dad. So if he is disrespecting Mom and Dad, then his relationship, his intimacy, his communion with God is, is an issue. It's a problem. And so we talked about that, and he understood that. And so at this point, uh, he was he was very repentive. He was very contrite. He he uh, he 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 was repentive. And so at that point, we're like, okay, we um we we need to make this right. We need we need to do we need to see some restoration here. So my husband got on the phone and called the father. called the man and said, "Would you and your son please come to our home?" so that we can s- speak with you about this. So um, I made a pitcher of lemonade and pulled some cookies out of the freezer and got everything all pretty at the kitchen table. And then I left, and they came to the house, and my husband and my son sat down at the kitchen table. And um, much of that meeting is a mystery because uh, they, he, I didn't get a lot of the details about it. All I knew, they were probably there about an hour and a half. All I knew was that when they left, um, they had an opportunity to, to discuss the misunderstandings that both sides, there were misunderstandings on both sides. They had a chance to discuss those. My son had a chance to apologize and to seek forgiveness. And they, and they were very gracious, and they, and they, and they forgave him. And, um, and, and every, everything ended on a very positive relationship. A week later, I ran into the mom in the restroom. And she just saw me and just th- threw her arms around me and just said, thank you. And my son actually went on to have a very uh, close and sweet relationship with that family. Now, in, in that pers- uh, particular instance, Bob and I had a lot of incentive <laughs> to just, okay, stop, let's think these through, let's, let's be wise about this. I mean, after all, the, the pastor had known about this, so we, we had a lot of incentive. Okay, but here's, here's what we can say. One of the things that we've learned is that when the methods were biblical, when the methods were biblical, when our focus was God, then the grace of God becomes a part of the equation the grace of God begins to unfold. Now, that may come in many different ways. That may come in something sweet and unexpected. That may come with, with seeing a child be refe- repentive and, and restoration made and, and true change take place. It, it may come in the form of wisdom and strength just to carry on through a difficult ordeal. But, but when the methods are biblical, when the focus is God, then you can count on, on the grace of God to be provided. Now, I want to give you some advice. Your kids are going to do stupid things. Even kids that know better, they do stupid things. Good kids <laughs> do stupid things. Okay, they do things to embarrass you. They do things that end up hurting you and breaking your heart but you need to determine now that your methods will be biblical. Your methods will be biblical. Now, in your homework, the author asked you to consider what are your parenting methods? What is your point of appeal in your training methods? Are you bribing them with little trinkets and offering them prizes? Well, then you're appealing to their greed and their love of stuff. Maybe your point of appeal is shame, and you're trying to manipulate them with shame. Well, then you're going to have a child that responds to shame. Maybe your point of appeal is pride and the applause of men. Remember, whatever modifies behavior trains the heart. Okay? Now, if... Did I miss something? I did, didn't I? I've got to see. Did I, miss a, did I miss a number? Okay. Okay, good. Thank you. No, we're good. We're good. I thought I, I, thought I forgot this one thing, and but we're good. Okay. Now, if those are the unbiblical methods that we need to discard, then what are the biblical metho- methods that we need to embrace? Now, um, if our goals or to help our children realize that life is worth living under the authority of Jesus Christ, then what are the methods for that? That list is going to be a lot shorter. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 23? Proverbs 23. The author categorizes everything into two main areas. I'm going to start in Proverbs 23 at verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. All right, drop down to verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. All right, one more, verse 26. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. What are the biblical methods? What are the methods that would be appropriate for the royal way? Well, our next point, number 10. Biblical methods to embrace in parenting are rich, full communication and physical discipline. Communication and physical discipline. Now, we often think of those as opposing ideas. But Solomon, he combines them. Now, the author points out that the rod of discipline is going to ensure your biblically rooted parental authority, but the rich communication will prohibit cold, tyrannical discipline. So they go together. Now, obviously, there is a day when your children outgrow the need for physical uh, or, or I'll grow physical discipline, but nonetheless, the pattern that we're going to see is a combination of both of these. Now, next week, we're going to focus and zoom in on communication. We're going to concentrate on that. The week after, then we're going to talk about the rod and the physical discipline. And then in the following weeks, we're going to be looking at how those two things apply to different age groups. So that's, that's kind of where we're headed. This morning, there's one more thing we want to see. If you would turn with me to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. We want to talk about their approach in dealing with our children and and implementing these two things. Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast We have a God that can sympathize with our weaknesses. He could have remained in the heavens and and spoken to us from the distance, but he did not. He took on the form of human flesh. He took on blood and flesh. He took on all the limitations of being a human being. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be mocked. He has been tempted in all things and yet without sin. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands what makes us tick. Now, what does that have to do with parenting? Well, next point. Number 11, biblical methods focus on understanding the child. Your role is going to be to discern and understand the why of what is going on inside of them. Your goal is going to be to figure out the internal motivation for the behavior, not just the facts of what happened. Now, your your homework has some questions and instructions on how to help you facilitate that, and and we're going to really talk more about that next week. We'll really um, jump into that then. For now, we want to concentrate on the example that we have in Christ for understanding our children. Now, several weeks ago, we learned that we are God's uh, representative and that we are delegates when it comes to being in an authority over our children's lives, but we are also fellow sinners. So you've got on one side of the coin, we have that we live, we are the authority in our children's lives. And then on the other side of the coin, we have that we are fellow sinners in need of grace. And so uh, because of that, Part of our approach is going to be that we're going to come alongside our children and understand them and attempt to understand them. Okay, so that means when your children are acting selfishly or whiny or unkind, you can understand them. You understand that battle because it's something that you battle with yourself. Except you're the mother. You're the seasoned warrior. You're the mother. You can take them to God. You can talk to them about the grace of God. You can talk to them about the power of God that is available to help them change and live a godly life. You see, you're fighting the same battles. You're both on the same front. Except you're the older and wiser soldier. You are the veteran that gets down in the trenches with your children. Brings us to our last point. With the biblical approach, we stand above the child as the appointed authority and beside the child as a fellow sinner in need of grace. We're above, we're beside. I... I'm going to close in prayer, and then we have an announcement right after that. So will you pray with me? Father God, how grateful we are that you became flesh and that you understand us and that you sympathize with our weaknesses, and we pray that you will help us to be women who approach our parenting in the same way. Father, I pray that these women will just have a desire and a hunger and a thirst to do things biblically, to to assess their methods and and determine that they are biblical. And Father, I pray when they do, they they just get to know the grace of God, that the grace of God will just come heavy upon them. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.